in John 9, John chapter 9. I understand you have readers from the congregation who usually read, but I felt it truly would be an unfair burden to make someone read this whole chapter but unfortunately the whole chapter needs to be read to understand this particular miracle of Jesus so we will read chapter 9 as he went along he saw a man blind from birth his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and washed. So I went, washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner who does such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. 
Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. We sing now uh, number 127, Jesus Heard with Deep Compassion. It is said that the poor will be with us always, and that is probably true. But it can also be added that the blind will always be with us as well. For even the richest man may, may become blind, and sometimes the most modern therapies are powerless 
to restore sight. We may marvel at how uncommon blindness is in our own midst, and that is indeed a tribute to what modern medicine can do. And it is even more a tribute to what good food and healthy environments can do. And finally, it is a tribute to our whole social service supporting network with its disability pensions, its schools for the blind, and its plethora of services and gadgets, as well as its home for the handicapped. In fact, I read a fascinating article even this past week about a new set of glasses that have cameras on them and so a blind person can wear it and looks ahead of him and there's, um, that is immediately transmitted to a person who is looking at the same image and explaining in detail what the blind man is seeing even though they don't see it. And the telling comment in the whole article was this. One of those blind folks who was experiencing this for the first time and was totally overwhelmed by the experience said, this must be what it's like to see. We all know that's not true. But it did, does nevertheless increase his ability to interact with the world. It was a fascinating article. But nevertheless, unfortunately, that man and those who continue or who move on to using stuff like that are still blind. They don't see the world like we do. Most of us go months without seeing or contacting a blind person. In the third world, where most human beings live, the blind are literally everywhere. They are at all the markets and most public buildings, begging. Since they have no other means of support, that is undoubtedly how it also was in Jesus' day. He conducted an extensive healing ministry simply because the blind and the lame were everywhere appealing for compassion. From earliest days, the blind have been protected by a special concern. The book of Leviticus says, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. The book of Deuteronomy says, Cursed is the man who leads the blind astray on the road. Psalm 146 is a litany of praise to God for all his wonderful deeds. It includes a whole catalog of God's attributes and the blessings he bestows upon men. And then in the middle of them all is this extraordinary phrase, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. In spite of that bold claim, just as the man who was healed in the passage today noted, there is no documented evidence that it ever happened anywhere in the whole Old Testament. There is no evidence that any blind person anywhere ever had his sight restored until Jesus walked among them in Galilee. The book of Isaiah, when it waxes eloquent about the coming of the Messiah, prophesies repeatedly in chapters 29, 35, 42, the eyes of the blind shall be opened. But it never happened until Jesus came. This is a clear watershed between the Old Testament and the New. When John the Baptist was languishing in prison, 
he had second thoughts about the authenticity of Jesus as the Messiah. So he sent some friends to Jesus with this question. Are you he or are you he who is to come or shall we look for another? Jesus is very forthright with these messengers. He does not, however, say, well, yes, of course I am. No, he tells them this, go. Tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is he who takes no offense at me. The very first thing that Jesus mentioned as a sign or evidence that he was the Messiah is that the blind are made to see. It is an extraordinary experience when a blind person is made to see again. Most blind people have at one time or another been able to see. Their blindness onsets later in life after they have initially experienced the gift of sight. The man we have read about today was altogether different. He had never been able to see before. He had been born blind. Of all those given the gift of sight in the New Testament, he is the only one specifically known to have been born blind. This man had never experienced the meaning of light. On the very first day of creation, God created light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. That was the work of the very first day of creation and it is of interest that it preceded the creation of the sun and the moon and of everything else that we have any knowledge of. Because of his congenital blindness, this man had no significant experience with the most basic element of all in God's creation. From the moment of our birth, all of us have experienced creation in a radically different way than this man did. How can we now truly fathom his experience as he came out of the darkness into the light? What is seldom appreciated is the fact that Jesus performed two miracles here. The man was first of all given his sight. The physical disease or affliction was cured so that his eyes were able to receive light images. But the second miracle was that those images had meaning. Even modern medicine has very little to offer for most people born blind, with the exception of those born with congenital cataracts. When eye surgeons first began to operate on adults, who had been blind from birth with congenital cataracts, the experience was extraordinary. These people were given sight, but it had no meaning. The images they were seeing had no more significance to them than the most wild, abstract paintings that we can imagine. They could not understand the difference between objects and their shadows. They had no concept of perspective, 
no idea if an object was a meter away or a thousand meters away. They were faced with a riotous confusion of meaningless patches of color. Many of them closed their eyes for weeks in order to be able to find their way around their homes. The dazzling brightness bewildered them. The sea of color patches utterly confused them. They could, they, we would see something and immediately give it meaning or interpretation. They could not do so. For us, form always has meaning. For them, it never had meaning until gradually over the weeks, they were able to understand this new dimension of light in their lives. There may have been one other person congenitally blind who was healed by Christ. In Mark 8, we find Christ healing a blind man at Bethsaida. He does not just touch his eyes or command him to be healed, as he did with most of the blind that he healed, but he led him out of the village. Jesus put his own saliva on the man's eyes and asked him, do you see anything? And he said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the blind man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. When this man was initially treated, he saw garbled images that he could not make much sense of. The next treatment clarified the confusion and the man finally saw clearly. This is the only person that Jesus treated twice for the same condition. The passage from John that we read today occurs shortly after Jesus has a near riot with the Jews at the temple. He had in so many words declared that he was God. Before Abraham was, I am. This expression, I am, echoed God's declaration of his name at the burning bush. I am that I am. Say to the Israelites that I am has sent me to you. When Jesus declared thus that he was God, many picked up stones and would have stoned him to death for his blasphemy, except that he slipped out of their midst very much as he had escaped a murderous mob at the edge of a cliff in Nazareth. After such a harrowing experience, one would think that his primary intent would still be on saving himself. But as we find him passing by this blind man, Jesus has compassion on him. The disciples are keen to discuss academically and disinterestedly the cause of this man's blindness. But Jesus is much more interested in responding to this man's need. There's a small but important lesson here. We may spend inordinate amounts of energy talking about the causes of poverty. But in the final analysis, talk is just talk. Canadians pride themselves on their generosity but that too, I'm afraid, is just talk since the average Canadian spends only one half of 1% one 
of their pre-tax income on all forms of church and charity. That figure is so ridiculous that it mocks the very meaning of the word tithe. The disciples wanted to talk too. Jesus wanted to act. He saw a concrete example of need and responded directly and efficaciously. How often aren't we like the disciples verbalizing and about the needs or plights of others and how seldom responding to them. Sometimes something as simple as a short visit to a person in distress can do more good than talking about them over a dozen cups of coffee. I was graphically reminded of that already many years ago when my young, young son joined me for hospital rounds. I had a 93-year-old patient who was dying slowly and absolutely inevitably of heart failure. When my little boy sat on her bed and touched her face, he brought more joy to her life and more sparkle to her eyes than the whole previous month of medical treatment that I had been able to accomplish. Jesus saw an example of need and responded directly. The nature of his response is remarkable. He mixed his own saliva with dry clay and patted that mixture of mud onto this man's eyes. Then he told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam which was at least a kilometer away. Why does he do so? Why didn't he just heal the man with a word? In the first place, the use of spittle and clay was a perfectly acceptable form of medical therapy at the time. Saliva in particular was considered a very efficacious remedy for the eye. What that tells us today is simply this. Jesus was quite prepared on occasion to use conventional medical therapy in the treatment of disease. Those who would treat all disease exclusively by prayer do not have a biblical foundation for that position. For if Jesus was prepared at times to use the medicine of his day, we should also be prepared at times to use the medicine of our day, trusting that God can bless it today just as well as he did then. Why does he tell him to walk a kilometer and wash in or at this pool of Siloam? Interestingly, this pool still exists as a derelict ruin of what it once was. It was an important water supply for the city, but it does not appear to have been renowned at that time as a place of healing. If nothing else, this kilometer walk forces that blind man to share in his cure, even as Naaman, the leper, was instructed to wash in the River Jordan. He had to do a big part of this. He had to participate in his cure. And the same is actually happening with this man. The other thing that this hike does is ensure that the mixture of saliva and clay remained on the man's eyes for a significant period of time. Congenital blindness is no ordinary disease, as I discussed earlier. Its cure in adult life is fraught 
with difficulty. It is quite possible that Jesus used his saliva as the substance of his own body to effect this cure. Not that it was saliva per se as a medicine, but that it was very specifically the saliva of Jesus Christ, part of the substance of his body that was necessary to effect this cure. This begins to have some meaning when we consider Jesus' cure for sin, namely the sacrifice of his very own body and the shedding of his very own blood. Sin, when it entered the world, was a monstrous rupture of all creation, an incomprehensible blight on all existence. It was so gross, so severe, that it needed more than just a bit of medicine or even a laying on of hands to effect any kind of cure. Lord's Day 3 in the Heidelberg Catechism teaches us that God created man good and after his own image that is in true righteousness and holiness, that he might rightly know God is creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. Whence then comes this depraved nature of man? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise, whereby our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. That summary is very succinct. Many of us have been able to repeat it verbatim, but fewer of us have been able to grasp what it actually means. To be born in sin is something like being born blind. One's whole grasp of reality is incomprehensibly distorted and truncated. Congenitally blind people lacking a real concept of light are experiencing a primordial distortion of reality. As far as we know, the very first thing God said was let there be light. People who are born blind, having never seen the light, must be baffled by God's very first words. When God created man, he said, let's make man in our image after our likeness. When Adam sinned, he condemned us all to be as ignorant of godliness as a blind man is ignorant of light. If you who can see can imagine something of what it might be like for a person to be born blind, then you can also begin to have an inkling of what it means to be born in sin. John's Gospel is full of images of Jesus Christ as the light of the world, much more so than any other Gospel Jesus is identified as light, the light of men or the light of the world. Even John the Baptist is introduced to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. It's hardly any wonder that John gives such an inordinate amount of space to this man who has been born blind. There are only seven recorded miracles in the book of John. This is the only one that's given a whole chapter. 
Yet it is characteristic when Jesus sets out to heal this blind, this blind man, he should declare, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And it's likewise no accident that this story of the consternation of the Pharisees is drawn out to such great length. They knew the scripture that the Messiah would give sight to the blind. They initially refused to believe this man had been blind. Finally, they were forced to accept that. However, they had already agreed to repudiate anyone confessing Jesus as the Messiah. So they cross-examined and re-cross-examined this man who had been healed. A short while before, they had said that Jesus was of no account because he came from Nazareth. Now they say they don't know where he comes from. The conclusion is as plain as the nose on a man's face. God does not listen to sinners. Never since the world began had someone born blind been given sight. If Jesus were not from God, he could do nothing. The answer was plain enough. The Pharisees adamantly refused to see it. And so they threw out the man rather than listen for a moment longer to his good sense. As they did so, it is of interest that they echo that view of the disciples that this man's blindness was caused by his own sinfulness. You were born in utter sin. Would you teach us? In fact, they finally accepted that he had been blind, but still refused the self-evident fact that he was healed and the implication of that healing. The healed man himself was not so dumb. He's quite prepared to accept the obvious. When he finally saw Jesus face to face, he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Like some people newly introduced to sight, these Pharisees adamantly closed their sight to what was obvious. They were determined never to recognize Jesus as the Messiah and the more obvious the identity became, the more willfully they closed their eyes against it. What of us? How blind are we? Have we been seeing for so long that we have lost the wonder of that vision? Are we so inured to the miracle of redemption that we shrug our shoulders? Jesus Christ used his spit to give sight to a blind man who then worshipped him. He used his blood to give us life abundantly. Do we worship him or shrug our shoulders and carry on? There's a story of one of the young women who had had congenital cataracts and received her vision back at the age of 20. For two weeks, she did nothing but look at the fingers of her hands clasping and unclasping them together and murmuring, Oh God, how beautiful, how wonderful. 
how beautiful. That's something like the enthusiasm that sometimes embarrasses us with new Christians. Each time we are so embarrassed we do well to stop and think of this blind man and the Pharisees. Have we seen our own salvation so much that like the Pharisees we no longer see it at all? May we never become so complacent that we too become blind. May we never become so complacent that we lose the wonder of light and the ecstasy of vision in a world created by God and redeemed by the blood of his Son. And all God's people say, Amen. Let's bow in a word of prayer.